You're listening to the Even Odds Podcast on the Constructed Criticism Network. Here are your hosts, Mason and Trey, and thank you for rolling with us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the ninth episode of the Even Odds Podcast. I am your host, as always, Mason, and I'm joined by a special guest host today, Spencer Howland of Constructed Criticism. Spencer, how are you doing? I I thought we were recording episode one of Need to Nerd. I I think I'm in the wrong place. Yikes! I don't know what that is. Sorry. (laughs) I don't think that's been officially announced yet, buddy. I... Uh, all right, let's do even odds. Let's go. Yeah, you like that? All right, much better. We'll talk about My Hero Academia later. We can always promote that at another point in the show. We don't need yeah. to do that now. I mean, we can officially announce that for sure Mason and I are starting a new podcast about nerd culture. Whether or not other people are involved, I don't know. But if you like this and you like nerd culture, whether it's My Hero Academia or other stuff, hashtag always promoting, go follow ner- Need to Nerd Pod on Twitter. Yep. Hashtag Need to Nerd. Boom. Easy. It's going to be exciting. More about that, and probably after the holidays would be my guess. We, we haven't actually talked too much about that, but it's going to be exciting. If you want to hear my sultry voice, you have another chance to do that. Spencer, we have a lot to talk about today, because we have to talk about prepping for an RPTQ, and we have to get you out of here so you can go record the superior version of Even Odds Pod, Constructed Criticism, with Seth Mansfield and John Stern. Got to chuckle out Spencer in that one. Uh, but before we do that, Spencer, we have a pretty exciting new sponsor this week. Spencer, our sponsor this week is MPR, Magic Podcast Resources, and they've got a pretty exciting thing that I think you in particular would love. Hello, Magic the Gathering podcaster. Have you ever had your co-host show up late, not be prepared for the episode, or have general bad takes like Terminus is bad and modern? (laughs) Yeah, I have. Well, don't worry. We here at MPR have the solution for you with your co-host soundboard. That's right. No longer we need to edit out awkward pauses. We have to figure out what your host spent by Terminus is bad and modern. Just listen to the pre-recorded message, click it, edit in your show, and boom, you have the best co-host you could ever have. We have a couple sound clips for you, like, that's game! My always improving moment this week was not playing Magic. So far, I don't like anything in the pack, Marshall. Let's move on to the uncommons. I think I'd mulligan this hand. In modern, I'm pretty liberal, and I think we can find a better six. And so many more. So head on over to NPR's website and use the promo code We Can't Skip a Week to get this at checkout. Thank you so much, NPR, for the that. And Spencer, I, mine's on the way. I don't know about you. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to submit one for KYT from First Strike that says, I love it, I love it, and that's just all he says. Uh, but, you know, yeah, that, that, that's, that's, that's my submission uh, for First Strike. Check out First Strike Pod from the godfather of podcasting himself, KYT. That one's actually on there. That was for the Patreon-only part. But, ah, got it. Got but it. I like it. You know what? You're a man of the people. You want to give to the people. And just I want to like, give to KYT, man. I want to give to KYT. <laughs> KYT doesn't get enough love. But you know what else we need to give people, Spencer? Some talking about testing and preparing and lessons learned from an RPTQ. we got a lot to talk about today. And I played this last RPTQ. You took the modern season off, so you did not play in this last RPTQ, correct? Yeah. Yeah, not only that, I love taking Modern Season off. I was like, I'm quitting PPTQs for life. I'm going to just gonna switch to Moto PTQs. And then they were like, by the way, we're killing PPTQs. I'm like, maybe I'll just take 
the next two seasons off since those are the only ones like they'll just get another free season off. There's, you know, whatever. I already hate PPDQs, so. Um, but no, I, I qualified for every RPDQ I ever tried to qualify for, um, and I've tested for a lot of RPDQs and tested for PTQs before RPDQs existed. So this is this is one where, uh, you know, I don't know about in your area, but in my area, if you test it with Spencer, there's close to 100% chance you qualified for a Pro Tour. <laughs> I don't know. None of us have ever tested with Spencer for the Pro Tour. It sounds like you've been holding out on me all this time. I, I will mention, speaking of RPTQs going away, there was a chuckle at the thing where it's like, if you top eight our RPTQ today, you get an invite to the next RPTQ. And a lot of people thought there w- there weren't any more RPTQs. Now it was a whole thing they had to explain, and now it was a pretty fun experience. But <laughs> the system is very clear. It's not confusing at all. It's great. I love it, and I can't wait for MTQs. Uh, Mythic uh, tabletop you, qualifiers. MTQs. All right. Well, you lost me on that one, Mason. You lost me on that one. No, I just branded it right there. Easy. Has- Boom. Hashtag branding. Yep. But for real, let's let's hop right into this, Spencer. So there are a couple of things we want to talk about when it comes to the actual preparing for an RPTQ. And one of the things that you had is testing alone. And I want to talk about what you meant by testing alone. So, Spencer, when you're talking about testing alone for an RPTQ or any sort of big event, what do you mean by that? Uh, yeah. So, I, I honestly, for RPTQs and stuff like that, I haven't done this too much in a long time. Um, but for for a lot of people, you know, they they qualify for their RPTQ or they know that there's a local PTQ coming up or a Grand Prix that they want to attend the PTQ at and they want to play test for it, but maybe they don't have a play test group per se. And so in those situations, you, you're mostly alone. Maybe you're sharing information with somebody, but outside of that, you're probably testing on magic online. You're, or you're maybe I would also, by the way, I would consider two people testing together, basically testing alone. I, I think that just one and two people sitting down and just jamming games together that's that's not a team of people. That's that's two people testing alone, and so uh, you know I, I think a lot of people have that experience going into these events, uh, and then also a lot of people have the experience of not testing at all. But uh, I think I think that a lot of people they have their friend that qualified, uh, and and that's just the group that they test with. Maybe there's three of them, something like that. And I think those small group to almost one person testing is is kind of what I want to cover there. Yeah, definitely. That's the thing where kind of it was an interesting RPTQ for me personally. So. When it comes to modern, I'm kind of, I, and I'm curious to hear your opinion on this because I don't think we've talked about this in a long time. Kind of the way I approach modern testing is I would play a league or two with a deck, kind of try and find the deck I liked. Once I found a deck I liked, I try and just work on the sideboard. And then my testing would involve me reading, watching, and uh, listening to modern content. So that'd be like watching modern streams, you know, listening to the newest game episode, listening to the constructive criticism episode, all those kind of things, and trying to get what other people's opinion on modern are, and then try and frame my sideboard with how the general, like, magic population is thinking about magic so for example i had extra stony silences in my sideboard for the rptq because hardened scales was on the rise in conversation so was kci so i was like i want to make sure to have extra points in those matchups and i cut on graveyard hate because i was like well even though this overlaps with kci stony silence has this other thing i don't think dredge is going to be as popular and it kind of played out that way so is that something that you kind of do? Do you try to actually play? I mean, modern is much different than standard. Standard, I think you actually have to play games. And modern, I don't think that's that way. When you do test for GPs and stuff, is that how you like to approach modern? Well, I can also just take this RPTU in, for example, because this one was really different because 
you know, Matt, Matt Kling, Michael Hinderocker, myself, and Alex Sinner kind of did a lot of theory grafting together for this one. Um, we knew that Michael wasn't going to play. He was going to be employed at Wizards of the Coast, so he wasn't going to need to play. Uh, but we helped him test for the Grand Prix in Portland that he didn't get to attend because his car broke down. Sad, sad emoji for Michael there. Um, but, you know, we, we came up with a few things. And one of the things that we realized going into this RPTQ, just from theory crafting and from Matt and Michael and Alex, well, mostly Matt and Michael playing a ton of games, um, and then discussions between the four of us were that we liked Fair Decks. And once we knew that we liked Fair Decks for this RPTQ, there wasn't that we didn't need to go out and test 15 different fair decks. We just got to discuss what we liked and then narrow down like what we wanted to beat. Okay. And 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 I think that that's typically how you have to atta- uh, attack testing alone, especially in something like modern, because uh, and you yourself played a fair deck at this RPTQ, if I'm not mistaken. But I I, I think I think that what happens is that modern's huge. So in modern. I can't I can't get in a room with with eight people or with six people and then by by within two days say like have a literal spreadsheet built of like what we think the matchups might look like and how we want to sideboard with every single deck. Yeah, and, there's just too many decks. It's not yeah, reasonable. there's just there's just too many decks. What I can say is I want to beat these three decks. What do we think has a good shot against those? So Matt, who forgot to register for the RPT online, uh, Rip, uh, it, he was going to play. I, I think. I think that I was I had him pretty close to convinced to play Jund, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just giving up the Tron matchup and saying I'm going to beat these three decks uh, and we're going to be we're going to be good here. And and I think that that in modern that happens a lot more. But I, I don't think that that's as helpful for our listeners. We actually had a listener of constructive criticism say uh, that he tested alone for this RPDQ. He played uh, a uh, a zoo deck and he said I was winning so much in testing. I get to the RPTQ, I go through drop. I, I feel like variants either hit me at the RPTQ or in testing. And I think in modern, that's going to happen. Like, it doesn't matter what deck you pick that you're going to go jam into 15 different moto leagues or five different moto leagues. Once you play those matches, you're gonna ha- you could have a completely different metagame and different experience once you get to that RPTQ. Yeah, I agree a lot. And I think that's part of the reason why, specifically for modern, I don't like jamming leagues or jamming MTG Arena games. Because there's just too many decks. And the Well, most, mostly because it's impossible on Arena. Sure, that's a good point. But even if I could, I wouldn't. Like, sure. if they had all of modern on Arena, I maybe would have played a couple leagues, like when I streamed or something. But, like, you, you just, is not even so much, you can't just get a lot out of it, right? Like, you have to play a huge number. And even then, you kind of just start to get, like, a rough idea, in my opinion. But I think generally, for other RPTQs and bigger events, I do like the idea that when you're testing alone, trying to focus on specific decks and narrow them down. You know, Autumn and Jadine talked about that in their uh, co-articles on Star City Games when preparing for Pro Tour Guilds of Ravnica. Yeah, that was his last one. And they mentioned how they they did some stuff where they were trying to attack certain decks and focus in on certain things and hone their strategies. And you talk about you guys doing that. So it's a thing I keep hearing people do. And it's, I think, a really important point that, like, if you have a smaller group, you kind of have to pick your battles, right? Uh, I think one thing that doesn't really help uh, when it comes to that is jamming games, Spencer. Do you want to talk about just jamming games? Yeah, this is my least favorite thing that people say that I don't understand. Um, so I, I have two points that I put on the show notes together on this. That's jamming games doesn't help, and testing to learn is important. So, first of all, I don't care if you've played 500 leagues with the deck. I don't care if you've played 500 matches with the deck. I I personally have played more standard in this format than Matt Kling has. And Matt Kling plays 
30 times the magic that I play. And the reason that that's true is because I played it on Arena. But but that being said, I don't know that my knowledge of Standard is that much greater than Matt's. Because oftentimes I was playing Arena to have fun and just jam games because I love magic. And I wasn't testing for anything. Matt's playing things to learn specifically about decks, to learn about the cards that he likes. And that's significantly different. Because I can go play as many games as I want on Arena. I can get a lot of games in. Trust me, I've done it. But that doesn't mean going into those games, if I don't have something I'm trying to learn, at the end of the games, and I sit down and I think, you know, I wasn't really thinking about anything during this. What did I actually learn? It's a lot harder to kind of try and get what you try to get out of it. So, for example, for the last standard RPTQ, we all had the decks that we thought we wanted to play. And this was the team one, correct? The one you're talking about? Uh, no, I... I uh, that we can talk about we we can talk about that one later if you want. But this oh, is specifically sure. we got in a room with Alex Sittner, uh, Silver Pro Alex Sittner, Silver Pro Michael Hinderocker, Bronze Pro Matt Kling, uh, Casey Bloodworth, myself, and we we wanted to find out one thing and one thing only, and that is, do we want to play blue black control? Basically, we want to know if we want to play Scarab God deck. We all had default decks that we liked, but we wanted to know, are we wrong about blue-black midrange and blue-black control? And are these decks actually viable? That was our entire goal for an eight-hour testing day. And we learned a lot about every other deck still, but we had a goal going into it. Mm-hmm. And the reason that we were able to have that goal is because we were sharing information the weeks leading up to the testing days. We were sending each other deck lists. We, we were sharing that info. But it was important that going into that testing, we knew what we wanted to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the thing is, is it, it was just me, me, Michael, and Alex that wanted to learn that. Matt was already set on red-black, so he was just playing the villain deck. Uh, Casey was playing any villain deck we wanted because he wasn't qualified because he hasn't played Magic. So that we had roles going into that testing, and we knew what we wanted to learn. Uh, it, it was it was powerful. It, it those Those testing sessions are so much more powerful even in small groups, even if you only have three people, those are the type of testing sessions that you need to have. Mm-hmm. Spencer, when you're testing alone, do you ever like take notes or like uh, like personally, like sometimes I'll record audio clips on my phone of sure. things I'm thinking about or and that kind of stuff. Do you ever do that when you're testing for an event like by yourself when, you, when your other friends aren't qualified or maybe you're playing tournaments they're not playing and it's harder sure. to communicate? That's a great question. So this is something that I I used to do a lot, and I kind of stopped when I started playing Arena. But I started again, and I'm actually posting these. uh, I just posted my first one in the – if you go to patreon.com slash ccmtg, become a patron of $12 or more, you can join the Constructed Critics group. Uh, And I just posted – I just played a league with blue-white control on Arena. Um, Got got that sick 5-1, so I'm coming for you, Henry. with, with with my own brew and and I posted like what I was what I was learning what I which like what I wanted out of it, um, and I was taking notes during the games and you know I took what it was the key takeaway of this match what was the key card like what are things happening John Stern and I actually are going to come up uh, I'm going to talk to him about it a little bit later tonight even but we're going to come up with a template for you to fill out when you're testing alone uh, so that you can like. And then for you to review after you fill it out, after your leagues, after your your PPDQ, whatever. I think that, that taking notes is important. But we kind of talked about this last week on Constructive Criticism that the important part is the action of it. You don't have to go back and look at them very much if you don't want to. It is it is how the, the human brain works is 
once you commit those things to memory, you're, you are engaging yourself more. And that's the most important thing in singular testing because you only have so much time. So you need to maximize how your brain is using the information that you're getting. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I, me and my friend Ellison are actually talking about that for sideboarding guides. Cause there was about four of us that were talking pretty, I was talking pretty closely with four people. And then there were a bunch of people I was talking to like tangentially about the modern RPTQ, but we brought up this exact thing where it's like, we write out our sideboard guides where we type them out, whatever. Right. And then in, in the tournament, we normally know what it's going to say because we spent that time working on them. Like we spent like three or four hours working on sideboard guides um, and like talking about what we wanted to match up and we think is good and what they would do, et cetera. And then, um, when we get to the tournament, it's like, I remember this, I already did it, but you double check it just to have it there. And also, you know, as the day gets later, it gets harder, but like you learn those things, you commit it. It's the same thing like what you're talking about. Yeah. We actually literally said this last week on constructive criticism that Seth and I both do that exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. It's, it's like we, Seth Banfield and I both write down our cyborg guides, look at it and then just throw it away. Cause like it, we, the important thing is like, sometimes you're going to do those kind of things on the fly, but if you go into an individual testing session when you're when you're doing this, you need to trust yourself. Like the number of people that told me that my rug deck list was insane going into the RPG that I qualified for the Pro Tour. Like literally, people were like, "You will not win a match with this deck." Big nucks. But I knew every single matchup. I had played over a hundred matches with that deck because we had it, I had brewed that deck for Quentin for the Pro Tour before the RPTQ. And, like, it had the highest win percentage in our testing by a substantial margin. I knew everything about it. And the thing is, is, like, no, you are the only person responsible for your event, whether it's an RPTQ or a PTQ or a GP. Like, the number of times that we worry too much about what our friends are going to think, what our opponents are going to think, what, like, random people on the street that don't even know that we play Magic are going to think is way too high. And at the end of the day, like, you really need to trust yourself. And, and you know, if things go wrong, you, you're the only person that you can ever blame. So stop relying on other people because you can't blame them once once it's all over. Yeah, it's definitely good to, like, talk to other people and, like, get their opinions and stuff. But when it comes to game time and pulling the trigger, it's all on you, right? Like, I think an example of this from the past RPTQ is one of my friends is, like, I think I want an extra card for Blue Red Phoenix at the RPTQ. Like, Dross Merriam just kind of blown up. This deck is starting to, you know, gain in popularity. And I was like, listen, I probably wouldn't play, like, uh, two extra cards for it. But if you don't want to lose at the RPTQ to Blue Red Phoenix, that's something you have to decide for yourself. I can't make that choice for you, right? This kind of like I didn't want to lose to KCI Harden Scales. You don't want to lose to Arclight Phoenix, and that's fine. Just trust yourself and know like what you're doing, right? And it's up to you to make those game kind of decisions. And that that goes from you know deck selection to in in game as well, right? Like if you think your opponent has something, you need to be able to trust yourself. I had a match in the RPTQ where I was pretty, I was like 99% sure my KCI opponent needed that Mox Opal to start going off with a KCI. So I played Knight of Autumn and blew up the Mox Opal when I had Thalia in play, just from the way they played. And it was like, I kept them off KCIing me for multiple turns because of that. So you have to trust yourself in game and do those kind of things. And I was getting so close um, to segueing to that, Spencer, then now I'm going to segue to the next part before you can take it from me. I want to talk about testing as a group. Hey, this is- man, I've, I've hosted, like, well over 400 podcasts at this point. I'm really sorry. No, it's all good. I was actually – I was about to segue it in, like, at the end of your sentence, and then you're like – trusting yourself and i'm like gosh darn it uh but no testing as a group with a number of people and stuff like that spencer this is the thing i've had a problem with in the past where i think 
there's a right number of people when you're talking in a group about magic and you have, you know, number of people in a testing group, I find that once it gets more than like three or four people, like maybe five or six, like after like after six, it really gets hard to like have any sort of real conversation going. What do you think about like that as when it comes to like bigger testing groups? And it could also just be like, you know, we're all out of magic, but how's that been for you? Uh, how much hyperbole can I say on this podcast? You can be a hyper, as hyperbolic as you want because Goblin Charbargains is their sponsor and they're the best sponsor in the world. So, so I, I think you're 100% wrong. Okay. Um, so the best the best testing session we probably ever had as a team was for Pro Tour Kaladesh, mm-hmm. um, where uh, we played uh, Green uh, Rug Marvel okay. at the Pro Tour. And we had the level two Rug Marvel deck that beat Rug Marvel, <laughs> that okay. beat Teamer Marvel, um, because we were like, everybody, people are going to figure this out. Um, and uh, <laughs> uh, it, it was really funny. I, I went on to win states with that deck. Uh, I'm really good at like taking the deck that we come up with uh, <laughs> in Pro Tour testing and then winning some random local event with it, by the way. But but I, I you know we had probably fifteen people in my house and we probably tested I mean that's that's harder right because you have a brand new standard we're testing for a pro tour so I can understand how RBQs could be different but I think that you there's there's a very key thing and that is that you need to pick an organizer and you need to pick people within roles and if people hold to those roles and hold to that organizer things will go smoothly. The problem is, is when that doesn't happen. One of the biggest complaints that my co-host John Stern has about testing teams is that people, he doesn't like the role he's given and that people don't hold within their own roles and they rely too much on other people. If you're given a role, you need to fulfill it. And if you do that, testing will go smoothly. If you don't, then I wouldn't test with more than six people. Yeah, but, I don't think we had like a role, like a clear established one. I think like hearing you talk about that probably was like the biggest problem with it. Next yeah. time I'll try so, and apply that. So literally, I I had a huge glass door at my house, and we were literally writing down records of matchups versus other matchups on the glass door. People were brewing decks. We were like adding decks that we thought were viable, erasing them if we thought they were not. Uh, you know, we had there was there. I mean, it was. It was so organized for days of testing. We went to Michael's house. We did the same thing. We then took the results from Michael's house, added them to the board at my house. Like, like it certainly can be something you can do with a lot of people, but it has to be a group effort. And too often, people think they want to be a part. I mean, you've been on testing teams with me. People think they want to be a part of a testing team. The truth is they don't. It is a lot of effort. And it, it's it's a lot easier to just like go jam a deck that you like and think that the jamming that you're doing is worth it. But honestly, the jamming that you're doing probably doesn't matter. It like honestly probably doesn't. Mm-hmm. Interesting. One thing I'm, I'm noticing a lot of that maybe some of our listeners are going to have a problem replicating is you know I really like having your experience here because it's you know something that I haven't had as much experience on. So it's been cool to get like this different viewpoint about it. But you keep talking about getting people locally together and stuff like that. Do you think like these kind of things can be replicated online for people? Because like I, for some people they just don't have local groups, so they can't get together, or et cetera, et cetera. I do. I do think that they can be replicated online. Um, I have not experienced success with that yet. There, I mean, I, so I work in in software development, and one of the things that we talk about is like the power of being in a room together versus, you know, right now we're recording on an application called Appearin. This is my favorite video chat software. Um, and, and it's powerful, but 
the the problem is is like if we were in the same room, Mason, the tone of our voices and how we are interacting with each other it changes. So I I do think that online results help. Um, you know we've seen that across multiple Pro Tour teams, but you have to be way more dedicated in those situations because you're not spending a day with somebody, right? And and, and that can be tough, but. I, w- I want to counter something that you said because okay. I don't be- I don't believe people when they say they can't get a group together. Like I I think that the truth is is that sometimes social situations are really hard, and so go- approaching those players that you want to test with can be difficult. But I think it's worth it, and I would encourage people to like if you have trouble socially talking to people. There are tons of people that I have invited myself to test with me that have some of those social issues. It, it it was worth it for them. It made them better at Magic. And if that's your goal, and, and like you want to qualify for a Pro Tour, I would encourage you to reach out to your local players because it's worth a lot. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I agree. I think, um, you know, it's, it's easy to say, like, as an extroverted person, but, you know, like, you have to kind of, like, go out there. Yeah, and... we're not we're not the people that, like, fall into this, but I have yeah. worked with I have worked with many introverts. Alex Sinner is, like, one of the most introverted people I've ever met in my entire life. He's been on three testing teams with me for, for ten, almost ten years now. Like, it, it's not a it, – it is a, like – I don't know how to explain this. It's just I think it's harder for introverted people to get their foot in the door, but once their foot's in the door and they feel comfortable, it normally goes a lot smoother, especially yeah. like if they know the people. So I, I think the the biggest thing that can happen is like let's say you approach Spencer Halland, host a constructed criticism, and you ask him to test for with him for you know GP Atlanta, right? The worst thing Spencer can say to you is no. I guess the and worst he, thing Spencer could do is blast will. you on all his podcasts he, and everything. Yeah. But I will normally, say no. By the way, I will not test with you for Grand Prix Atlanta for what it's worth. Hot. <laughs> already happened. Too late. Uh, right. But you know, you approach them, they say no, right? And it's like, okay, cool, and you move on, right? But like, the truth is, most people will like they will at least talk to you because you can get something from anyone that you talk to yeah. in Magic, and they can like show you a new way or a new like a new thing to think about and stuff like that. And most people will want to talk to you, even if it isn't like the most hardcore thing. You could get more out of it. So I think you do need to like, if you're in those kind of situations, kind of. I don't want to say step up because I think that's the wrong word, but like take the leap might be a better way to say it. Yeah, we have a. I'm just going to put uh, one of the trophy majors on blast. We have a trophy major named Kyle, um, and you know he's trophy majors. By the way, you can check that out. Check out hashtag trophy majors. Uh, that's a stream that we do. You know, we're all streamers and stuff. But you know, uh, Kyle uh, was texting me about a PBT that he went to where he didn't talk to anybody, and I was like, oh man, you got to change that. Like talk to the players that are winning, like, interact. Like, it was, I think it might have been his first paper PBTQ ever. And I was like, 100%, you need to just walk up to people and say, hey, like, I'm Kyle, I'm new to the PBTQ scene, like, I'm trying to get better at Magic, like, what is the scene like here? Like, it sounds so daunting, but fun fact about Magic players, they love talking about Magic. Who, who would I, I don't like talking about Magic. Do you like talking about Magic? <laughs> I just, I never do it, so I don't know. It's but literally I, the worst. But I, I, I think that, you know, testing as a group has a lot of power. And I do think that you can do this in multiple ways. Um, you know, uh, I, I, I legitimately have been on online sessions when we did Team Constructive Criticism before. And they were actually really powerful at times. Um, you know, where we, we did a team draft online on a service that I won't mention um, for free before the set came out. Uh, and we did this. We did this a few times. It was actually really powerful. So 
you know, we got to play with the cards early, and then after the thing, we got to we got to do different things. And I, I think I think there's a few things that I'd like to cover. We're we're getting kind of long on this podcast, and I, I'm I'm sorry, Mason. Cause I, no, you're I good. A lot. I think it was good. But but I think the number of people is important. So uh, number one, don't do a draft unless you get six people ever, 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 ever. And also, don't do a draft with an odd number. So if you so do six or seven, or do six or eight, a hundred percent of the time. You can do seven if the seventh if the person that has the buy is willing to sit and watch games. If they are not, it's not worth it, and you shouldn't do it. The second thing is uh, people don't test sealed enough, and there's a lot of power in opening a booster box and then repacking, like just redistributing booster packs. A really good way to do this is when you open booster packs, just put just put them in sleeves, put numbers on them, and then you can draft the packs as many times as you want. And distribute them however you want. We've done this. Uh, we had a guy for Pro Tour Origins that uh, he made a cube for us to test with. And we drafted that cube like seven times. We made like sealed pools out of it. It was crazy. So like, but the number one thing that you have to remember going into testing with a group of people is there is preparation for that. Otherwise, the testing doesn't go well. Otherwise, you spend all your time in the preparation process and not enough time in the learning process. So... It is when we talk about roles in testing, that's a huge part of it. You, somebody's role needs to be to prepare whatever you're doing, whether it's three people or one person. It's somebody's job to proxy the decks, to print off the proxy cards, to to, to um, draft with, to like whatever it is that you're doing. That's somebody's role before the testing even starts, because the testing can't start until the preparation is done. Yeah, for sure. I agree with that a lot. You, you have you have to be ready. You have to use your time efficiently, right? You're limited in how much time you have. Yeah, and some people have more time than others. And if you're one of those people, you should probably try and volunteer for that part of the process. Because, like, you know, it's really hard to get eight people together in, in this world. So if you can do it, like, and you have extra time to help with that process, you should do it because it will make things run so much smoother. Before, can we, before we wrap up, yeah, I want to sure. say one more thing because I think this is something that gets lost on people mm-hmm. is that there needs to be a post-testing meeting. If you are in a group of people, I don't care if it's three people. I don't care if it's five people. I don't care if it's 20 people. The most powerful thing that you can do is get in a group and have a meeting about what you learned and what your biggest takeaways are, because otherwise you could all walk off with completely different thoughts and miss out on this opportunity that you have to have eight people together to talk about their learnings. Yeah, I like that a lot. I think that's really good. I really liked how this conversation, how this episode went. I wasn't sure exactly how it was going to go, but I really liked how it kind of came out. Spencer, let's say someone wanted to contact you so they could become a patron of Constructed Criticism at $12 or more in the Constructed Critics group. Where could they do that? Yeah, you can message me on Facebook at Spencer Stephen Howell. You can tweet at me at Spencer13H. You can follow me on Twitch at CCMTG, is typically where I you know do the Twitch stuff from. You can follow uh, Need to Nerd on Need to Nerd Pod on Twitter for future nerd culture podcasts. Um, yeah, that, that's that's simply the best way to get a hold of me. I'm really good at responding to people. Um, I like made a goal of it a couple of years ago. Um, I've made a lot of friends through responding to listeners. There's this guy named Mason that like ended up like you know, doing a bunch of stuff with me for talking to me on social media. So like, it, it's not, I mean, Kyle, there's this guy named Kyle Norman. He's like one of the trophy mages. So I, I'm pretty good at responding to people. Um, uh, yeah, just those are the places. Yeah. What a weird thing to look back on. I know you talked about that constructive criticism, but it's just weird. Even when I was listening, I, to that, didn't, like, it is I weird. didn't talk about it, but 
<laughs> well, I mean, like, you, guys, you guys mentioned it. But yeah, you know, it, it is weird. Uh, if you want to find me and talk about how amazing I am, as always, you can check me out on Mason Clark on Facebook, Mason E. Clark on or on Twitter, and you check out twitch.tv slash TheMasonClark. That's where I stream every week for the Trophy Mages. Spencer, normally this is the part where I promote the network, but you own the network. So do you want to talk a little bit about the other shows you can find on this fine network? Uh, Yeah, so if you like hearing from Platinum Pros and guys with 10 Grand Prix Top 8s, go jump on ConstructorCriticism.com. And I, honestly, I I am so happy with how things are turning out with John and Seth. Um, I, I'm... I, you you go from doing a podcast with like your actual best friends to these other people, and uh, I, I was list I I listen back to the episode sometimes so that I can you know take notes on what I could do better. And this week, I I was I didn't realize while recording how good the episode was. So you know thank you, thank you to John and Seth, but you know the, it's it's a masterpiece over there. Be, not because of me. I have nothing to do with it. I'm realizing. Um, but, but those two are quite amazing. Uh, Homeward Path has a podcast that I, I'm helping produce. Um, not very well. I'm the worst, and he's great with Adam Spain. Uh, he's he's so dedicated and so amazing. He drives home from work and, and talks about magic, and doing a solo show is, is so impossible that I'm really glad that Mason didn't do this week. Anti-shout-out to Trey. Um, you know, and, th- and then we got a new show uh, from... It's not new. It's new to us. It's not new, but... Uh, Johnny is is doing his bi-weekly show, The Hive Mind, where he interviews magic personalities. So we got a little bit casual, got a little bit of competitive, and then hopefully in the next year we can bring back limited time only to you know get, to complete the what we need. And then there's this podcast called Common Knowledge. I was about to say good. pour one out for Common Knowledge, uh, just uh, left out. <laughs> no, they're not left out. The problem is is that like Common Knowledge is so good as a podcast, I don't have to do literally anything. Like they have very intense show notes. They have that Lobber and Brandon are amazing. If you play Popper, it is the actual best Popper podcast. I'm not saying that because I own it. I'm saying it as somebody who listens to a lot of Popper podcasts, it is the best one. Like, it's not close. There you go. Boom. Well, thank you everyone for rolling with us. All right. Now, this is the part where I edit in Trey's wow case. Told me he'll send me one. You know, we had the Mythic Championship happen, Spencer. So it's pretty, pretty. Wait. Wow. Okay, Trey. You're telling me they redefine the Pro Tour. They add $10 million in prize support to Magic the Gathering. Not not to even mention all this awesome salaries they're going to give Magic Pro, so it's actually a livable income and making Magic Arena the best Magic Online platform. They do all of this, so you can't record me a couple minutes of you yelling about it? Wow. Okay. Let me just go watch Daddy's Little Girl for the hundredth time and talk about how it beat Frozen. Golly gee. Wow. Okay. See you next week.